Okay, guys, grab your Bibles and let's uh, return to the book of Romans. And I don't want to overstate my case because I'll probably disappoint you, but um, what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is huge. And we've covered a little bit of it. Tonight we come to what I think is the, more, the most important part of that hugeness in, um, in Romans 12.1. <coughs> Guys, um, if you were ever a, a part of a Baptist church and you did sword drills, or if you were ever part of the Navigators and you, you, um, you memorized scripture, um, one of the verses that you always memorize is, is Romans 12.1, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason that that verse has become so... Um, uh, oh, oh, I don't know, vitally important in, in a Christian's um, development. It contains a lot of good truth, but there's, there's more to it than just the surface of the truth contained. There's a strategy. There's a method. Um, in fact, guys, <clears throat> it is probably the most important of methods in terms of Christian development. Okay? I hope to be able to explain that tonight. Let me read you just the text. You know it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, gang, um, uh, what you're getting in in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I mean, several things, but the, the thing that I think is so important is what Paul does is show you um, the motive that is behind all of Christian living, all of Christian ethics, all of Christian conduct, all of Christian behavior. He is, he is showing you in this text, or um, what I want to show you that he's showing you, is that it's not simply important what we do, but it's important as to why we do it. I've told you this story before, and I, gosh, I bet you I've told it six times, but it's such a... I'm flying home on an airplane from someplace, and I'm sitting across the aisle from a guy who's reading the USA Today, and, and I don't have anything to read, so I'm trying to, you know, crane my neck to read his paper, and, and there's, a, there's an adver- advertisement in the USA Today, and it's a whole sheet advertisement, and it says at the top of the sheet, honesty is the best policy. Now, we'd all agree that's true. Honesty is the best policy. You're going to buy a car, you want to buy it from somebody that's honest, don't you? I mean, honesty is a good thing. Then at the bottom of that sheet, it say, at the bottom of that advertisement, it says, it said, it is also the most profitable. Do you get that? Why is this advertising say, advertiser saying that honesty is a good thing? He's saying honesty is a good thing because you can make a big profit off of it. That is, if, you don't, if you're not honest in your business, you'll lose profits. So, it's nice if I'm going to buy from him that he's going to be honest with me. But the issue is, why is he honest? At least it's the issue for the Christian. It's not simply enough to do the right thing. It's a question of why we do the right thing. And, and that's what Paul is mentioning. You see his strategy in, in verse 1. Last week, we talked a whole lot about that word, therefore, that is in, in chapter 1, I mean verse 1. Remember, we talked a whole lot about the word, therefore. And in that, Paul is appealing to his audience. He is making an intellectual appeal. Let me explain. He's saying, 
that based on these great theological truths that I have explained to you in the first 11 chapters, the next logical, rational, reasonable, sequential step to take is that you present your bodies as living sacrifices. It's it's an intellectual appeal. Do you understand that logically, flowing out of these great truths of chapters 1 through 11, then logically, rationally, therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Okay? That was his intellectual appeal. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to aim at your heart. He goes on to address, he goes on to make an appeal that takes you to the, to the core of your being. Guys, only Christianity does that. For instance, humanism. And I'm using humanism in its broadest sense because really humanism is kind of a, a catch-all term. All of the isms kind of fall under humanism. But humanism will tell you, you know, it's just common sense that you not steal. You see, that's an intellectual approach. But, the, but humanism cannot tell you why nor how you ought to be honest. Why you ought to be honest how you ought to be honest. But it will tell you, be honest, be good for goodness sake. It can only make an intellectual appeal. Christianity, on the other hand, doesn't simply appeal to you based on the logical, rational, sequential next step to to take. He then tells you or gives you the motive behind all of Christian behavior. And it's found in those little words, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. (laughs) Now, that's where I want to spend our time, just showing you what he has done, or try to explain to you what he has done. Guys, I'm telling you, this is the heart and the soul of Christian behavior. And because we don't understand this, we're not very healthy. I'll try to explain that. He's appealing to, he goes on to aim at your heart by making an appeal to the mercies of God. By the way, notice it's plural, it's not singular. It's the mercies of God. By the way, what what is mercy? How does mercy differ from grace? Let, let me do that real quick. Grace is, is the quality of God's character that predisposes him to kindness. It's the quality of his character that predisposes him to forgiveness. Um, the word grace it traces its origin back to a Hebrew term, which means to stoop or to bend. Donald Gray Barnhouse used to say that love that goes up is worship, love that goes outward is affection, but love that stoops is grace. Grace is that quality of God's character that predisposes him to be kind and to forgive. Mercy, on the other hand, is pity in action. That's a a definition I I got from Martin Lloyd-Jones years ago. Mercy is pity in action. That is, God has looked at our situation, 
He has seen what our rebellion has done to us, and He has had mercy. He has seen the ravages of our sinful choices, and in, in spite of those offenses, He has chosen to have mercy. Mercy is pity in action. Now guys, here we go. Gird up the loins of your mind. Paul's appeal to us here is to live a holy life. Present your bodies as living sacrifice. He is, to, to, he is appealing to us to live a holy life based on our grasp of God's mercies extended to us. Ladies and gentlemen, that is that is earth-shattering. Now, you don't probably see that, but I, I, I hope to show you how earth-shattering that is, because I'm telling you, you don't understand it. And, and I'm telling you, you have been appealed to on different bases. He appeals to us to live, to present our bodies as living sacrifices, or to live a different life based on our enjoyment, based on our grasp of God's mercies. Christian people are people on whom God has had mercy. In light of those mercies, we live a different life. Guys, um, this book has been around, gosh, it's been around 35 years, I guess. I, I mean, I, I think we first saw this in the 70s. This is Francis Schaeffer. Um, it's been repackaged and reprinted so many times. This is a this is a, a real famous work that nobody reads anymore. But um, uh, I looked for my copy today and I couldn't even find it, so we still have it in our bookstore. But um, Francis Schaeffer is a name that some of you might recognize. I want you to look at the title. How should we live? <laughs> Humanism will answer that question for you, ladies and gentlemen. Judaism will answer that question for you. It's only the Christian that inserts the word then. Do you understand? How should we then? Then what? In light of those mercies, how should we then? How should we live? Guys, the motive behind all of our Christian behavior is supposed to be our enjoyment of, our appreciation of, our contemplation of, our grasp of mercies extended to us. Now, there are other motives that drive the Christian. And I'm afraid... I'm afraid that some of you are motived like this. That some are, of you are living or seeking to live a Christian holy life based on the wrong motive. It is a fear-based obedience that you possess. Wondering if I'm going to do something that he's going to punish me over. Guys, fear-based obedience will ruin you. First of all, um, fear-based obedience 
always starts with a big splash. When I was a when I was a sophomore at the University of Tennessee, I was as raw of a pagan as you've ever met. Not only was I raw, I was loud. So people could hear my paganism. I mean, it's not that they could simply see it, they could hear it coming, you know? Um, but uh, I, I had a friend, his name was Tom Hall, his, his, his father was the mayor of Millington, you might remember, uh, his years and years. Anyway, Tom and I went to a seminar that was delivered by Hal Lindsey. Do you know that name? Um, Hal Lindsey came to the Knoxville campus, had a seminar, and the seminar was on his book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Did he really read that book? Shame on you. Don't admit it. Don't, don't nod up and down. Uh, you know, but guys, you know, he talks about the seven signs of the coming of this and that. And, and I remember, as well as I'm sitting here, the last one was, you know, there's going to be this Antichrist that's going to be born and, and the Antichrist is someplace. And he said, I think he is right now living in the streets of Italy. And uh, he, I don't know exactly how old he is, but I think he's already uh, uh, alive and he is living in Italy. I walked out of there that night, ladies and gentlemen, saying, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have to come leave my life up. I'm, I'm straightening out here. I'm not going to get any quieter, but I'm going to straighten out. I've got to straighten up here. It Fear-based holiness springs into action. And then it is so blasted exhausting that finally you come to the place where you say, I won't say it. <laughs> To heck with that. You know? Ultimately, a fear-based obedience is short-term. Because you can't keep it long-term. I'll tell you another problem with fear-based obedience. Um, it is a real problem with repentance. Because you don't, because you're not secure in your relationship with Christ, you can't be honest about your sin. And so what you do is that you blame shift and you and you rationalize and you make excuses because you never want to go, because you fear the reprisals of God, you never want to go and own your sin. You don't want to do that. I'll tell you another reason that fear-based obedience doesn't, doesn't work. It has a real problem with difficulty, pain, suffering. Because if I am driven by fear... My point, um, if I'm driven by fear, then when something bad happens to me, I think, well, he's just paying me back. He's getting me back for what I did. Do you want to live like that? Getting me back. That's right. You know, guys, I, I, I must have to say this six times a year to somebody. God is not after you. He's not trying to look for you to do something wrong so that he can smush you. And then if it's not that, um, it's, um, well, the reason that I was living this obedient life is because I didn't want some of this horrible, terrible, bad stuff to happen to me, and now it's happened to me, and now I'm disillusioned and the heck with all this. The amazing thing is, some of you are trying to live a life that is pleasing to God because you are afraid. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God. What is it that the Apostle Paul is doing, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see what he has set up? Do you see what he has done to give you reasons to live a holy life? The motive, ladies and gentlemen, is not that you're afraid. The motive is, I'm enraptured. Gang, there's, there are people who are um, trying to live um, a, 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 a holy, I mean, a good life because um, they want to earn those mercies too. Maybe some of you here are trying to earn the mercies of God. Paul is saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of all of those, all of those extensions of kindness and understanding and pity to you that he has put into action for you, in light of those things, Present your bodies. I, you know, guys, I think the non-Christian world has some real wacky notions about us. But they've got them because we gave them to them. We gave them to them saying, Well, I ain't going to do that because you know what happens if you do that. I was in a conversation just yesterday with a man who's, who's done a bad thing. He really has done a bad thing. It's a bad thing. You know, and I'm sorry he's done it, and there's going to be consequences. And there's, you know, he, I mean, he's going to lose his family. He's going to, you know, it's just a mess, just a big old mess. But his wife is telling him the whole time, God's going to get you for what you've done. You know, and I and I want to say, you know, I don't I don't want to celebrate what you've done at all, but that's wrong. But I'm telling you guys, the, the evangelical community is, is wacko. Because our whole understanding of the motive behind godly living is wrong. We don't, we don't live a whole life because it works. Because if you do, you get blessings. If I've heard that one time, I, you need to give your money. Because there's blessings. I hate the word now. You need to serve in Sunday school because there's blessing. Do you see that? Do you see that motive back there that's lurking back there? I'm doing this because, because my life will work better. That's not what Paul does. He's giving you, he's saying to you, it's not only important what you do. It's important why you do it. And here's why to do it, based on the mercies of God. That is the motive that the Apostle Paul uses, guys. For the Christian, the way that we deal with sin is to realize who you are and what you are. Let me do this. I've done this before, too. But, I mean, it... Um, you know the the cross is a is a is a big symbol in the um, in the Christian world. I mean that's the cross. Okay. Now before you became a Christian, when Jimmy Young was a was a sophomore at the University of Tennessee, Jimmy Young needed to hear about the death of Jesus Christ. 
Jimmy Young needed to hear about forgiven sin and the free gift of eternal life. He needed to hear. Somebody needed to point Jimmy Young to the cross. But in September of 1970, I became a Christian. Now, I'm living this other life. And so how do I deal with my sin now? What do I do do about my, my problems with wrestling with my own flesh? I go back to the gospel. I go back and consider the mercies of God. Folks, I needed to hear the gospel over here, but I need to go back and review the gospel over here. I don't, ever, I don't ever address or attack my sin directly. Let's say, and I, I always hate to use this because people are saying, well, I bet you he's got a problem. And I don't have a porn problem, folks. I don't. But let's say I did. I don't have a porn problem. I promise. <laughs> Whatever that is. Um, but how do you address a porn problem? All right, you nasty boy. Bad eyes. You just gotta. That's a bad thing you're looking at. So stop looking at that. Don't look at that anymore. That will never work, ladies and gentlemen. The reason that humanism fails, the reason that fear-based obedience fails, is because it mistakes the whole proper motive behind godly living. To deal with my sin problems, I go back and refresh myself over the gospel again and again. Who am I? What am I? Oh, in light of the mercies of God. That's my motive, ladies and gentlemen. Not that if I keep on doing this, I'm going to get smushed. Guys, um... The gospel of Jesus Christ elevates this whole thing of Christian living to a very high level. What it does is it says that Christian living is part and parcel with the whole gospel. That is, it's a part of it. What is it that what is it that gives me the why the gospel does? What do I point people to when they're dealing with their sin? The law? No! I point them to the gospel. I point him to Christ. I point him to his finished work. And I'm telling you, folks, if you are struggling, if you have no interest in, in pursuing godly living, then the reason is a deficiency in your contemplation of the mercies of God. Gang, um, did Jonathan leave here? Jonathan, are you out there? Jonathan Derby? No, wrong Jonathan. Jonathan, did he leave that? Did he, Jonathan, leave that dog? Jonathan Philby was here at some. He's a dear guy. And, and um, Jonathan Philby is in a little Bible study with me. And, and um, 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 he comes from a long, he comes from a preacher's home, actually. Um, but we were in this discussion about stuff the other day. And, and um, uh, Jonathan Philby looked at me and he said, um, I think we ought to change the name of this church. I said, what? I changed the name of the church. What do you mean? I love the name. Grace Advantage. And he said, um, for two years, I refused to come to this church because of the name. I said, what? 
Grace? He said, oh no. Evangelical. Because you know, ladies and gentlemen, the evangelicals are associated with the political right. You know, when the, when the, when the media starts describing um, the, the right, they, they talk about the religious right. They talk about the evangelicals. Guys, I have to fight to distance myself from that. But one of the things that we have to fight to get beyond is this very thing. Where you better go to church on Sunday night. Guys, for what? I mean, I, I think you should go to church all the time, you know, but why? Why? Because you're afraid? Because you don't, do not know that you're safe in Christ? Because you don't understand eternal security? Because you don't understand Romans 8? Is that the problem? Because Paul says, it's not enough that you intellectually grasp these doctrines and then go do them. But you do them. You do them in light of the mercies that have been extended to you. I've got I to gotta move on. A couple of quick things and I'm done. Look at the text, guys. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. So what is the standard? What is the expectation? What, what expectation does Paul have? Oh, nothing more than he expects us to present our bodies. The, the whole person, the entirety of the person, the, the totality of the person. The Christian life is to be one of worship and service, etc., etc. It's you that God wants. Now, who's going to do that? Well, let, me, let me ask it differently. If you're going to do that, why are you going to do that? Well, let me say, in my opinion... The only people who are going to do that who are, are people who are ravaged by the beauties and the excellencies of the finished work of Christ. And why are you going to do it? Because you're ravaged by the beauties of the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do it because, well, if I do that, then God will do this for me. If I do that, then... then, um, uh, then I'm okay spiritually. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just evangelical Judaism. Judaism is telling people to obey the Ten Commandments so that they can earn His mercies. Paul says, in light of His mercies. Guys, um, um, let me do this. I'm going to give you, and this is original, kind of, Half of it is, um, at least. I have to be honest with you people because you'll find it on a, on a, on a website someplace. But um, if you would like to know or have succinctly the motive for Christian living, here it is. Mercies already received. That's the motive. And here's the part I added. And... The promise of more to come. That's what he says in Romans 12.1, folks. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
already received mercies. That is our motive to go obey. And the promise of more of those mercies yet to come. That's why we live that's why we live like we do. That's why we that's why we want to follow Christ. That that sense of gratitude. You know, um, as a parent, don't you just hate it when you do something so extraordinarily nice for your kids and they act like brats? You know, you take them, you spend $7,000 to go to Disney World and they complain because they didn't get the right kind of ice cream or something. They're just a very audacity of those little brats. You know, and I'm being grateful for this. Well, ladies and gentlemen, just understand this. Sin is a base kind of ingratitude. Because the motive is the gratitude for mercies already received and more mercies promised yet to come. I'll I'll, uh, sing you a song and then we'll quit. Guys, um, when we graduated from... um, one of the one of the fondest memories that I think Susie would would um, concur. We, we worked in a little church in Louisville, Mississippi, throughout our whole seminary career. Uh, I did youth, and then I uh, preached in a little church at West Union, ten, uh, West Union, Mississippi. In fact, my greatest accomplishment spiritually is that I moved that church from one Sunday a month to two Sundays a month. <laughs> uh, that's that's really that's that's all about. Anyway, uh, they they uh, I preached at Little West Union uh, twice a month, and then we did this um, this youth thing. And uh, when we when we were leaving, they offered me a job, and we turned it down to go start a church in Ocala. And um, they they had a little going away party for us. And the kids, and there was a there was a guy who was here. I don't know a year ago. He is a he is a doctor of infectious diseases in um, in Atlanta right now. His name is Gene Stringer, and Gene was one of the kids in that youth program. And um, um, the night that they had the little going away party for us, the kids got up and sang a song to us, and it was. Brutal. I mean, not not the song. I mean, it was just brutal emotionally on us because it's it's really um, it has to be. If not my favorite, it's it's got to be. They knew it was too, and um, it is the song when I survey. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all. My pride. That's the first verse. You know the fourth verse? I know that one too. It goes like this. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a gift far too small Love, love so amazing, so divine.
sustains my strength, my soul, my all. That hymn writer got it, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, 21st century evangelicalism doesn't. Demands my life, my strength, my soul, my all. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Why? Love. So amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to get that. You've got to get that. You have got to get that. It will change the way you live out your Christian experience if you understand that we are working from mercies already received. That is what fuels the fire for holy living in the Christian. Nothing else. Our Father, I do pray that you will make that clear and understandable to the people who listen, and I pray that they will find um, more than they ever dreamed was out there. Might they discover the great richness of the gospel, um, the great provisions that, that are contained within it for people as wicked as we are. And in light of the rebellion that has ruined us to understand and contemplate and grasp the great mercies of God extended to undeserving people. Might that, not fear, not pragmatism, not rationality, might mercies received with more mercies to come Drive us to holy living. We commit ourselves to that, Father, and we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen.